Well, good morning to everyone. Thanks again for being here uh, this morning, especially if it's your first time with us, maybe your first time in a long time. Uh, if you are joining or visiting this morning, and you are a special honored guest. Thanks for taking some time out of a very busy, beautiful weekend uh, to be with us here at West Bowles. Hey, a little side note real fast. Several months ago, we asked you to fill out a worship survey. Uh, if you remember that, we had some uh, forms here during uh, the, the service a couple weeks in a row, as well as some online versions. And uh, we took all that feedback, processed it, prayed over it. And hopefully over the last couple of weeks, you have seen a few of the, the things that you were uh, really passionate about or important to you. Hopefully you've seen those things in our services. Uh, we're trying to add and implement things uh, each and every week. So thank you again for your honesty there. Thanks for your openness as it pertains to worship and hopefully our uh, service together. Uh, very different and unique than probably many churches you've been to, but we love that. We love that we are adding and combining a little bit of everything in this one hour. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed as much as we do. Hey, I'm Pastor Thomas. For those of you that I have not met yet, Pastor T, Mr. T, sexy bald guy, whatever you want to say. I'm cool with any of those titles, uh, but I have been absent. I've been away the last couple of weeks, uh, different things. Uh, one was horribly sick. One was a vacation to Mexico. I highly encourage the latter and discourage the former, uh, but I feel like I have been gone for years and years. I've missed you guys, and I hope the feeling is mutual. Uh, if not, just, just nod your head kind of like this, right? Uh, but it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, on that note, though, thanks to Pastor Nathan for doing such a masterful job of wrapping up our Ephesians series for us. That was a series we called, Who Do You Think You Are? And our hope in that series was for each person to know more fully and to live in and live out their true identity in Christ. Because if I were to ask you, who do you think you are or who are you? Tell me more about yourself. There are a lot of things that you could say. You could tell me about your personality, your passions, your parental responsibilities or titles. Yes, those are all true for you. But what's mostly true, what's the most important truth about you is that as a Christian, you are in Christ, which means that you are adopted by God, rooted in his love, empowered and filled with his spirit, saved by his grace, gifted and a gift to his church, covered with his armor. See, those are the most important identity markers that describe you, that are true for you. And everything else about you should be seen in that light. Are you with me? So if you missed any of that series in Ephesians, go back. It's online on the podcast as well. Who do you think you are? Well, Paul tells us each and every chapter in Ephesians just who we are in Christ. And I hope it was a great encouragement uh, to you. This morning, we're going to launch into a new series that we're calling Better Together. Uh, before I lay out kind of what our heart is or what our hope is for that series, uh, pray with me, would you? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are and that you love us and that you have given us this church. And we want to do this church, God. We want to be the church that you have called and created us to be, God. A church that literally transforms the community in which it exists. A church that is literally a light on a hill, God. A church that, that brings thousands upon thousands of people into a saving relationship with you. A church that brings hope and healing to a community that is so broken. A church that is filled with every age and every life stage. You know, we want to do that well. It's hard. It's hard at times to do life together. We're all so different. We're all so unique. We all bring so many different things and passions and preferences to the table, God. But would you, in a supernatural way, would you unite West Bowls together in a way that it has never been before? Would you, even in this moment now, create this unified body 
that is a powerful, unstoppable force for good. We ask you to do that now. You're the only one who can. So in Jesus' name we ask, amen. Hey, some things, if you think about it, were just made for one another. Were they not? Take, for example, bacon and eggs, chips and salsa, or better yet, chips and queso. How about mashed potatoes and gravy? Tuesdays and tacos. Anybody with me? Anybody hungry already? Come on. It's, it's brunch time. I'm already hungry. That donut just didn't hold me over quite How about Lucy and Ricky, Batman and Robin, Captain Kirk and Spy? They just go together. How about millennials and coffee shops, sunsets and Instagram, Converse and high socks, Netflix and binging, right? I mean, come on. It's as if God made these things for one another. Sure, they're okay by themselves. Oh, but aren't they so much better together? And what's true with different foods, what's true with uh, different Hollywood characters, what's true with different cultural trends is also true when it comes to different generations in the church. See, God designed the church, what we are doing right now. He designed it to be full of folks of every age and from every life stage, because according to God, the, the creator of every single one of us and the creator of the church as we know it, the best way to do this thing called church is to do it together. See, we're so much better together. Look at a couple of verses that make this point. Psalm 133, 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm one. 45, 4. One generation commends your works to another. They all tell of your mighty acts. And then Joel 2, 15 and 16. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate everybody. Bring together the elders, the children, even those nursing at the breast. See, the church is at its best. It is the way God designed and intended for it to be when we are doing it together. When it is full of every age and every life stage. See, a church isn't a church unless there's a newborn baby crying somewhere in the sanctuary, an elder person falling asleep somewhere in the sanctuary, a teen like upset that their parents dragged them here, right? A middle-aged guy trying to pawn off like, I'm taking notes on my phone. Like, no, you're not. You're checking your fantasy score. Like, I know. I do the same thing, right? It's not a church unless you have all of those people together. God made it so the church is better together. And that's clear at so many levels. I gave you a couple of specific verses, but think about the terms, the, the phrases, the analogies that God uses throughout the scripture to describe this thing called the church. He uses a word, the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. See, Paul says the church is to operate and function like a body where there's all these different parts, better yet for our context, all these different people that have different skills and passions and backgrounds and stories and hopes and dreams, all these different people, they come together though and supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it happens, Paul says, they form one. Though they are many, somehow we come together and form one. 
Paul uses the example here of Jews and Gentiles, slave and free becoming one. I think for our context, you could add different age groups, right? He might say, whether you are young or old, a teenager or empty nester, World War Tour or a WWW daughter, however you want to describe yourself, though you are many, because of the Holy Spirit, you are one. Though you are so diverse and so different, you're actually better together. God also uses the term family to describe what we're supposed to be like or look like in this context. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See, a family, by its very definition, is made up of multiple generations. And don't we celebrate families that have four, five generations in one? We take pictures, look, there's four generations together in this picture. Oh, my word, this never happens. We get so excited when different generations are together. And God wants his church to be a place where everyone, no matter how old or how young they are, to find meaning, significance, value, right? Respect, love. That's what he wants, and that's what should be true in a family. A group of folks who are the exact same age, who just gather together to do the same thing, that's called a social club. That's not called the church. A church is multiple generations, very different people coming together under the banner of Jesus. We're called to be a diverse, multi-generational family. Truth be told, though, church, even though God has made it so clear what his intentions are for us, that we be one body, one family, a multi-generational unit, truth be told, we're not very good at living that out, are we? Truth be told, we're not real good at living out this unity thing, this oneness. There's so many different things over the course of time that have divided and separated the church. And at the top of that list is worship. I know this is going to come as a complete shock to you, but there are some people in some churches, in some parts of the country, that argue about worship. I know. I mean, isn't that just crazy? Can you even, oh, wait. Um, people say, um, well, in those said churches, right, people tend to argue or complain over everything from style to uh, volume level to the tonality of the worship leader. They argue over all these different things, and I wish that we had no clue what we were talking about right now or what I was talking about right now. But truth be told, Bowles knows all too well about the worship wars, doesn't it? Here's the problem, though, with the worship wars. Typically, that battle isn't one that's just fought or that divides people based on worship preference. Typically, it's a battle that separates people out generationally, isn't it? See, different ages prefer and, then diff uh, and, and resonate with different styles. I totally get that. And the solution, more often than not, from a, a leadership perspective, has been to just offer a bunch of different worship times that appeal to those different styles, right? That, that include or kind of center on a different style. So the youth group gathers in their own space, and then they got the bass turned up. It's super loud, tons of funny videos, right? Then the millennials come together for a worship time that's like organic and intimate and authentic. Any other like buzzword you can think of, right? The Gen Xers like me, we have a contemplative yet tech-savvy worship time. It needs to be relevant and real. The boomers set something up where they could jam out to like rock-style praise tunes with their guitars and their drums. The older generations come together in a certain setting so they can sing you know, hymns or, or listen to the choir. And all the little ones are herded off like cattle downstairs so they can act out Father Abraham as many times as they want, right? 
I must admit, it seems like a pretty agreeable solution, given that every generation kind of wants its own thing when it comes to worship. And chances are, if you, if you do that, Pastor, well, everybody's going to be happy, right? Well, not necessarily. But here's the thing. Even if everybody was happy, I'm not sure it makes the Lord real happy because we're not together. And remember, church, we're better together. The model or the mode of operation as it pertains to worship, when you separate everybody out by style, but by really by generation, that's the perfect recipe for disunity and generational isolation. We're not together. We have to be together. Something else that adds to the disunity and the separation of generations in the church, it's not just worship, it's actually our educational model. Um, back in the late 80s, most people agree, the church kind of adopted the, the world's understanding of education, or at least the American church adopted the American understanding of education, where you separate people out into age cohorts. Right? It's easier to teach somebody if you're around other people of the same age. And so you separate the little guys out and you separate the old people out. Right? It, it's easier to teach them, minister to them. It's more effective if you have people of the same age together. The church started to do that as well. There's Sunday morning programming, throughout the week programming. What age are you in? What life stage are you in? Okay, great. I'm just going to place you in a group that looks the same as you. So the youth group is placed together to talk about the problems they're having with their parents. Parents of the youth group come together to talk about the problems they're having with their teens, right? Young families come together to talk about how they don't have a single moment to themselves. Empty nesters talk about, what do I do now with all the time I have to myself, right? I mean, everybody comes together to talk about the unique problems or opportunities or whatever they're facing in that, that age or life stage. There's a lot of good to that model. It's justifiable. We do a lot of that here at Bowles. But if that's your only mode of operation, you're going to create generational fragmentation. You're going to create a silo mentality. You're going to be ignorant of everybody else outside of your own little group. That, that tends to happen a lot in churches, doesn't it? A couple of things that came to mind I want you to know these, these words, these phrases. The Bible suggests the best way to do life is to do it with folks who are in all different stages of life. Don't just connect with people your age. Go out of your way to connect with people of every age. You with me? The Bible suggests the best way to do life is to do it with people who are in very different stages of life. Don't just connect with folks your own age. Go out of your way to connect with, with people of every age. Paul tells his kind of pastor in training, Timothy, this, this very thing. Listen to his words in 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers, for the whole church in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says, Timothy, you're young. Don't let anybody look down on you for that, but instead be an example to the rest of the church. How can our Timothys be an example to the rest of the church when they're always off by themselves? Right? How, can our, how can our Timothys be an example in all these different things when we don't hardly ever get to interact with them or hear from them? They have to be an intricate, important part of our church if they're to be an example. Amen? Or how about the words in 1 Timothy 5, later in the same letter, Paul says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And how are we going to live these words out when the best we do when it comes to interacting with each other is shaking a hand for 37 seconds during stand and greet? 
It's hard to treat someone like a mother or a father or a sister or a brother or a child. It's hard to treat them in those familial terms when you don't have a clue who they are, when you don't know them at all, when you don't get to spend any time with them. You see, church, one of our great callings is to combat all of the isms that are in this world. And there's a lot you can choose from. Sexism, racism, classism. But we as a church are called to model a very different way of existing, right? We are to model the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven where there are no isms. My problem, though, is I think that we as a church actually add to an ism in this world and maybe even make it worse, and that is ageism. See, ageism is the tendency all of us have to look at other generations with, with prejudice or discrimination or even disdain, right? It, it's a layman's definition might be we, we downplay the good parts of other generations and we exalt the problems that other generations bring to the table. And all of us tend to do that. And I think I've seen it in the church more as I've been thinking and praying through this series let me bring up a couple of examples to you of, of how I've seen ages of even in my own life. So last week we celebrated a really close friend's 40th birthday party. Well, what do you do at a 40th birthday party? Man, you make fun of them for being way over the hill, right? Like it's all downhill from now. Life sucks for you. <laughs> or think about all the anti-aging products that are out there. It's that they're trying to tell you like aging is a crime. Aging is a disease. You better stop it and buy my product. Or how about the tendency we have when we forget something? What do we say? Oh man, sorry, senior moment. The seniors I've sat with the last couple of months, and they remember everything, especially when it comes to Jeopardy. Like, Grandma, how do you know that? Like, locked up in there. Or about lying about your age, or not being super, super forthright about it, right? Because you're kind of embarrassed. Or 50 is the new 30. I'm celebrating the 10th anniversary of my 29th birthday, right? Why, do we, why, do we, why is 29 or 30 suddenly the pinnacle of all existence and after that, man, it just you know, sucks. Or how about older generations stereotyping younger ones for being lazy or ungrateful or unpatriotic? Or older generations, um, or younger generations stereotyping older generations by calling them stuck in the mud, detached from reality or ignorant or clueless. I came across this joke that speaks to all of this. At four, Success is not needing diapers. At 12, success is having friends. At 17, success is having a driver's license. At 20, success is having sex. At 35, success is having money. At 50, success is having money. At 60, success is having sex. At 70, success is having a driver's license. At 75, success is having friends. And at 85, success is not needing diapers. You see, church, we are so close. You may think you're so different than the oldest generation, not in the least. Now it's fun, I get it at times, to poke fun at someone's age or a different generation or a stereotype that has some truth to it, but church, we've been called. We've been called to combat ageism. And I'm not sure we've done a very good job of that. I'm not sure we're stepping up or leading the charge to say and to show that every age Every life stage is so incredibly important to God and thus needs to be important to his church. I'm not sure that we are taking the lead when it comes to highlighting or showcasing or celebrating or supporting every age and every life stage. I think we're just adding to the divisions and the ageism. 
And church, I want to ask you this. If you can't find this unity in this place, if you can't find a multi-generational family in this place, if you can't find a body in this place, where in the world are you going to find it? I mean, I'm talking about a, a real, true, deep, pure community, a love where people appreciate, respect, honor. You're not going to find out a Broncos game. Those are multiple generations sitting in the same venue, but they don't have a clue who one another are. They don't, they don't care about each other. That's the church's role is to show how every age, although it doesn't make any sense. Why would teens want to hang out with senior adults? Why would empty nesters want to babysit young families? What is going on here? Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the only thing that brings people from every age and every life stage together. It's, it's Jesus. See, God wants so much more for us. He saved you, not simply so you could have a personal relationship with his son, but so you could have a personal relationship with all of his children. Don't you love that? God did not save you just so you could have a personal relationship with his son. He saved you so you could have a personal relationship with all of his children. I love that. I wrote it, but I also just love that. (laughs) You're not saved just so you can be part of heaven. You're saved so you can be part of a dynamic, multi-generational family here on the earth. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. It's an interesting, kind of weird language, is it not? But once, because of sin, you were divided. Once you were separated from others. Once you were alone. Once you were a bunch of individuals doing your own thing. Once you were part of a small group that looked and acted exactly alike. Once you were a part of just something so small. But now, now you are the people of God, he says. Once you were like that on your own or just with group think over here. Now, though, you are the people of God. That's because of Jesus. You are a people that sees, knows, respects, encourages, and champions others. Once you were this on your own, but now you're part of this. Imagine with me, church. Imagine a church where exhausted, stressed out young moms and dads didn't have to juggle all the parental responsibilities throughout the week, especially on a Sunday, because they have the love and support of an older generation who faced the same struggle. Who knows what, what, what throw up here looks like and a dirty diaper in this hand feels like, right? And, and, and no sleep. They know what that feels like. So they come alongside of you on a Sunday to give you a little break, to serve you and support you as a family. They know, they know what that's like. And so they want to help you. They want to they support you. Imagine a church where the teenagers didn't have to navigate life on their own, but where there were so many young adults right there next to them, walking them down that road that they just themselves had to walk down. Or where maybe an empty nester comes alongside and says, man, I I learned some things along the way, teen. I would love to share them with you. Don't learn by mistake. Don't do what I did. Let me share what it's like to walk this road of faith. Imagine a church where the senior adults don't feel so alone so discarded. They, they have families coming into their home constantly, man. We're playing games. We're singing to them. Man, we're just praying over them. Imagine young families coming alongside the senior adults saying, we love you so much. We support you. You are such an important part of this place. Can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine when you walk in the door and it's like, man, I've got a bunch of little brothers and a bunch of dads and big sisters. Man, I just love, I'm a part of a family here. 
We're not called to just imagine it. We're called to work for it. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you. Please, Paul says, for goodness sake, he says, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there may be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and in thought. No divisions, perfectly united, one. That's our goal, West Bowles. That's our win. You with me? And that's our hope in this new series. Over the uh, next six weeks or so, uh, we're going to do our absolute best to break down some of the generational walls that we have knowingly and unknowingly put up here uh, in this place. Uh, We want to know each generation, honor each generation, value each generation, be connected to each generation. And so we're going to highlight and showcase a different generation each Sunday. Uh, John's put together some incredible videos from representatives from each of those generations. We're going to hear their story, hear what it was like to grow up in that day, what it was like to come to know the Lord or what church even looked like during that day and age. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate that generation. We're going to thank God for that generation and what they taught us over the years. I think what the Lord wants to use to teach them, uh, or that, that didn't come out right, what they can teach us now We want to celebrate them. We want to honor them. We want to thank God for them. We want to listen to them. And then we want to just be connected with them. So we're going to try to present some opportunities for you to get to know some of these different generations. And then we're going to find ways you can serve these different generations. Because each generation is dealing with something or a bunch of somethings. How can the rest of us as their family come alongside to support them, love them, and help them? So we're going to do a lot of cool things over the next couple of weeks. I hope you will uh, make it a point to be here to hear these messages. Let me close by sharing with you one of the most profound stories of intergenerational community in all the Bible. I'm going to ask the band uh, to come on up as I do this. The story is found in 2 Chronicles 20. I encourage you to go this week and read this chapter on your own time. Um, It's a story about a king named Jehoshaphat. And in this story, uh, the, the nation of Judah, some of God's people, are being attacked. They're being threatened by all these different surrounding nations. And they're coming along, and they're about to take them down. They are in over their heads for sure. This little nation of Judah stands no chance against all these enemies. The king falls to his knees, and he says this, Our God, will you not judge them, all these nations that are coming to war against us? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, the king says. But our eyes, our eyes are on you. But here's the thing. He didn't make this request, and he didn't go before the Lord in this crucial moment on his own. Look at who he was surrounded with. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, all of them stood there before the Lord. Don't you love that? This wasn't the king's problem. This wasn't designed for the elders to handle on their own. This wasn't something that the young men should all volunteer for because they have the most strength. This was something the entire community needed to come together and seek the Lord in. And they did. The king says, would everybody, all ages, bring your whole family. We need all hands on deck. And if you read the rest of the story, God moves in some powerful ways. And it's because they learned, and I hope that we will learn over the next few weeks, church, we are so much better together. You with me? Let me pray that over you and we'll sing one final worship song. God, would you ingrain these truths in our head this morning? Help the things that are of you to take root and change us and the things that are not of you to be forgotten. Would you speak to us now about the importance of intergenerational ministry? 
the importance of being connected to those much younger than us and those much older than us, would you make West Bowles a family, a body that honors you, that serves you, and makes you known in this community? Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.